Welcome to this week's episode of Romancing Nancy Drew, party people. I'm your host, Indy Nickerson, which stands for Nancy Drew Nickerson. You can find me at that handle on Twitter, or you can find me at Romancing Nancy on Twitter if you are so inclined. This week's episode, we are at the season finale for season 10, because I have the tiniest seasons, and we are doing the haunted showboat. Yes. This episode brought to you by this can of Diet Mountain Dew Zero that is hanging out with me. This one is weird because I'm pretty sure this is the first book I've done that has 20 chapters. This one was published in 1957. Um, and this one is set in New Orleans. New Orleans. So, and also at Mardi Gras. Although they refer to it as the Mardi Gras. And I was like, I mean, you're not wrong. It is the Mardi Gras, but also it's kind of like Madonna. We just give it the one name. Um, this one, the cover is... Mm, this is the first cover, I think, actually, that I've got the art showing Nancy as a redhead, so that's fun. I don't know if this is officially the book where she transitioned over to being a redhead. Um, in the book, I don't think she's ever described as strawberry blonde or Titian or redheaded or anything, but um, this one has got best-looking super sketch <laughs> at the show, but which is completely on brand for her character in this book. Nancy is next to her with her hand near her mouth like she has been startled. Nancy is rocking some red nail polish. I noticed as I was putting together my 1,000-piece Nancy Drew puzzle this week that a lot of the covers feature Nancy wearing red nail, pol- red nail polish, like just crimson, just rocking it. And I was like, interesting, interesting. I don't know if it was just the easiest color for the cover artist to put on her nails or what, but I liked it. <clears throat> She's usually wearing lipstick to match. She's also got the little... I don't know the technical word for it. It's like the little scarf thing that you loop around your neck that we used to wear in brownies, but looking more fancy uh, over a white button down with a collar. And next to her is George, who is wearing a collared short sleeve shirt and a, but it's pink. And because this is a wraparound cover, it goes around to the spine of the book, but it doesn't show you her ass, even though she's in like traditional superhero, I'm showing you my ass pose, but it's fine. She looks like she's about to point threateningly at the people who are depicted in the picture. This shows the swamp, basically, the marsh, the bog, the sketchy area. Um, it's in moonlight. It's showing the kind of dilapidated showboat in question. And it's got a paddle boat or canoe or however you want to phrase it, like a one of the little boats that you paddle out on the river. With a guy who looks like he is in, like, fucking throwback 1860 clothing and a woman who has white hair and a long red dress. And they're looking back toward the showboat. But on the showboat, you can see what may be the ghost in question. There's some sort of, like, white discoloration that could depict something that looks like a Scooby-Doo sheeted ghost. But anyway. So, yeah, that's that. Nancy's shown in profile, which does... Mm, there's a lot of like three quarters profile half profile like looking over her shoulder suspicious like all sorts of fun stuff but anyway so I mean it's fine I have no problems with it it's it's a fine cover as always racism ahoy for this one because we're in New Orleans and we ain't gonna be able to walk away from it um this book's and (sighs) I would look at it this is actually again because we're at 20 chapters now the books themselves are shorter so it's only about 180 pages as opposed to the 210 ish that we were rocking before this um nancy has been invited by bess actually to go to new orleans to meet her cousin who's 
I'm going to forget her fucking name. I'm going to call her Dottie because she seems like she's a bit of a ditz. Um, Dottie is from New Orleans. She is rich. She's the only daughter of her parents. And so she's a bit spoiled. They live on a plantation, Sunny Mead, which at all times I'm picturing her as Blanche Devereaux, except for with fewer siblings as a nun. There's no Clayton. But anyway, um, <clears throat> so she is, her family owns said showboat, as you might expect. And they're trying to restore it to have a party on it. It's going to be a party boat. I like it. Um, but there have been mysterious happenings on such showboats, so they are hoping to get Nancy to figure out the thing. Because, of course, they're going to hand, have their party at the end of Mardi Gras, so they're going to have it on Shreve Tuesday. So Nancy needs to figure it out by then. So they're like, you need to leave as soon as possible. But Nancy can't leave that day. She can't leave the next day. She can't leave the day after that. Like, it's it's just all sorts of shenanigans. The first third of this book, easily is Nancy and her friends trying to get to New Orleans for Mardi Gras. Like, I wish I were exaggerating. Um, the first, well, before they leave, before they actually decide that they're going to leave, um, Nancy is packing, and she, she talks to her friends, and she's like, let's pack our tops, shorts, and skirts sets. And I'm like, is it a romper situation, but with a skirt thing happening? I've got questions. Is it just that they're all coordinated so that it's like, it's kind of like matched separates? Are they going to look like career girls who are out for a party? I do not know. Anyway, Nancy knows that she's going to be at a fancy ball, so she tells Hannah about this, and Hannah goes up into the attic and recovers an old black lace shawl and an ivory fan that belonged to Nancy's mom. This is one of the first times in the series that we've ever seen Nancy, like, really react this way to a family heirloom or anything like that. So Hannah brings them out and she's like, these will look really super cute if you wanted to wear them to your dance. And Nancy's like, you are not wrong. Hand that shit over. I'm going to pack it. So Nancy goes out the night before she's supposed to leave. She puts her her, um, suitcase in the trunk of the car, which, as you may remember from previous books, Nancy likes to practice last minute packing where she's like, I just need like 15 more things to jam into my brass bound trunk. But anyway, in this case, she actually packs up her stuff and puts it in the car the night before. And you're like, that seems significant, and you were not wrong. So she puts it in her car. Um, Her dad is not yet home, so she leaves the garage open for him, even though she locks her car. And she, oh, Togo. Togo actually grabs the shawl when Hannah hands it over to Nancy. Nancy puts it on the bed because she's, like, checking out the fan and making sure that everything is in order. When Togo steals the fucking shawl and rips a giant ass hole in it, and Nancy's like you naughty dog. And anyway, so Hannah fixes it because Hannah is a wizard with all sorts of domestic crafts. Um, anyway, so Togo flips the fuck out. Nancy goes over to the window to see what's going on. And she sees a man driving her convertible out of the garage. She runs out and says, stop. And he like fucking fishtails and knocks her the fuck down, which props if you are going to steal somebody's car and if they're going to pursue you while yelling stop, which I don't know that anybody would actually stop, but anyway, it's okay. Um, to fucking try to take him out on your way out is a bold move. I like it. Um, Nancy, of course, gets the one knocked out of her because she is Nancy Drew, friend to animals, real-life Disney princess, daughter of the man who invented Toaster Strudel, so you can't take her down for long. Hannah comes out and is like, Nancy, and she's like, I gotta run to the police station once I get my breath back. Um, so he has stolen her convertible and the suitcase, which was in the trunk of the car. And Nancy's like, I actually don't give a fuck about the rest of it, but I do want my mom's shit back. Like, 
you crossed the line. You've gone too far. She describes the man as having small beady eyes, which, as you notice, all all villains in Nancy Drew books have small villainous eyes. Beady. They look suspicious. They look sus. Um, He has coarse, stiff-looking hair, and I was like, so he's a product enthusiast, is what you're trying to tell me. Like, he likes to have it gelled just so. Um, But, oh, and a low brow, because I feel like... Harry Stratemeyer Adams may have been a fan of phrenology. Um, just a sense that I get, but that's okay. Um, so Nancy reports him to the police, the local police. They're like, mm, we haven't heard about anything. Of course, she reports her convertible as being missing. And of course, every cop within a 100 mile radius is familiar with Nancy and her car. And they can't fucking find it. Um, they put out an APB and everything. They have her license plate number, etc. They can't find her fucking car. Nancy's like, Thank you for being completely useless in every possible way. Glad that we have a relationship where I do all your fucking work for you. Good job. Good job all around. Um, let me think. The other thing that happens is actually, oh, after her car gets stolen, her dad's like, hmm. <laughs> and Nancy's like, are, are you not mad? And he's like, not really. The next day he comes home and he's like, I've got a surprise for you. Oh, and Nancy invites her friends over because she's like, I don't know what the fuck we're going to do. She asks her dad, like, how are they going to get to New Orleans? And he's like, oh, well, I'll try to find plane tickets. But everybody on earth is trying to go to Mardi Gras, and so he can't get plane tickets. So he goes and buys Nancy a fucking yellow convertible. That's what he does. He goes to the car dealership and buys her a fucking yellow convertible and brings it home. And is like, your old car was showing signs of wear. And I'm like, okay, it's 1957. She's been driving that bitch for 47 years. Yeah. It would do that. I'm sorry, 27 years. Um, Yeah, after you've driven a car for nearly 30 years, it's going to show somewhere. You're not wrong. At least it's not in a roadster anymore. Um, Anyway, so he's like, yeah, yeah, this is this is a nicer car. But it's also, I'm going to point out again, and if somebody brought me a yellow convertible, I'd be like, I've got questions about what you feel like my personality is, but okay. Um, Yeah, it doesn't really seem to suit Nancy, I'm just going to say. But, I mean, it's fine. Like, she's very appreciative of the gift, and she doesn't want to say anything bad. She does miss her her car. They've had good times together. They've been in many hair-raising situations together, so there's that. Um, So, they decide they're going to drive it. They decide they're going to just take the convertible and drive all the way from River Heights, wherever the fuck that is in the Midwest, to New Orleans, which is expected to take, uh, no, not a solid year. (laughs) But a, a good deal of time, actually. When I told you that the first sort of this book is I'm trying to reach New Orleans, I wasn't fucking lying. Um, as Almost as soon as they leave town, they pass a car, and Bess is like, Nancy, that was your car. It's painted black. And Nancy's like, no wonder the police could not find it. Those dipshits, it's now black. And the way that Bess recognizes that it's Nancy's car is, first off, that the person driving looks shifty, which, sure... But second, that there was an unusually shaped ink blotch on the back seat. And Bess, with her eagle-eyed vision, managed to catch sight of it as the car was driving by. And I was like, good job, good job. What were y'all doing in the back seat? Practicing calligraphy with some parchment paper against the rear seat cushions. Like, what the fuck? But that's okay. So, um, Nancy goes to the police at that place and is like, we just spotted my car and she's actually trying to catch up with the car when a highway patrolman oh, I'm sorry I think that the highway did the highway patrol exist at this point I think they actually did um yes the highway patrol actually was invented in response to automobile accidents so yes it makes sense that they would actually exist at this time um 
why do I know that? Shut up. Um, so yeah, a highway patrolman pulls Nancy over and she's like, I'm trying to catch up with my car. And he's like, you're, you're driving a car. And he's, she's like my other car. And he's like, what? And she's like, it's, it's go, just go. And so he's like, okay. Like he, he gives into this immediately. So please understand that if you are ever in a situation involving you speeding like a motherfucker and you are Nancy Drew, that you can just say, I'm trying to catch up with a guy who stole my other car, my original car. And the cops are going to be like, that seems legit. So, so they don't catch up with them. Um, the cops like, we'll put up a roadblock. They don't catch him that way. Nancy's like, okay, cool. Um, also because of the time of year it is, they run into a snowstorm. Um, they run into a road that has a detour on it. And then there's, I don't think there's debris in the road. I think that like something else happens, like the road is very slippery and it's got like a, a sharp cliff on the other side. Anyway, like they run into that. Um, they decide to stop for the night at a hotel and, um, they, she actually spots a car that looks like her car, but then when she asks about it, they're like, the guy who runs the place is like, oh no, it's a, a family and they've got a parrot. Nancy's like, okay, no, that's, that's not the the people that I'm looking for. But like, they decide that they want to, um, get ahead of the, the person who is apparently pursuing them. So they actually decide to drive through the night. So they take shifts doing that. Bess, who the book takes pains to point out, first off, during her first introduction, is that she is a few pounds overweight. And I'm like, better than you do sometimes. Better than you do sometimes. It's a super low bar, and you're not quite clearing it, but okay. Um, That Bess is a very cautious driver. She does great at it. Um, But she hits a... An intersection of the road, she's not quite sure which road to take. She um, looks at the different street signs. She looks at... She looks around, she looks at the map, and this guy, like, walks up beside the car and is like, hey, at this point, according to the story, it's like three o'clock in the morning or some shit, and so Bess is like, what the fuck, and the guy's like, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I just um, pulled over because I'm, like, camping or some vague shit, and you looked lost, and Bess is like, I mean, I am Nancy and George, and so they wake up, and they're like, and he's like, yeah, so, um, where are you trying to go? And Bess is like, oh, New Orleans. And Nancy's like, face palm. So he says they should take the road to the left. And then he says, oh, are you the girls that the guy was asking about? And they're like, no, of course not. What? What, what did he say? <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, this guy came by a few minutes ago, and he was asking if I'd seen three girls traveling by themselves come by. And and they're like, which way did he go? No reason, though. And he's like, uh, the middle path. And so Nancy thinks about it and is like, go to the right, because I don't trust him. I don't know if he was a confederate of this person, so we're just not going to handle that right now. So a few other things that happened during their absolutely cursed trip include, um, after they get on the road with the yellow car, and after the guy has driven by in Nancy's painted convertible, and has looked very closely at the girls and at the car that they're driving, um, Nancy, um, I, I guess they stop for lunch or something. They get back in the car and Nancy's driving and she hears a ticking sound from under the car and she's like, shit. And so to her credit, they immediately pull the car over, get out of the car. And Nancy's like, okay, she looks under the, um, the dash or whatever. And she's like, okay, that looks like a bomb. Cool. Um, it's attached to an alarm clock, which Nancy just reaches over and turns off the alarm clock, hoping that that will delay things. And I'm like, that is a ballsy move. I like it. That you're like, clearly, there is a giant ass alarm clock. And clearly, if I turn it off, that will just diffuse the bomb. Um, anyway, but they get the fuck out of the car. Um, 
I can't remember who goes, oh, I think that somebody actually pulls over to ask what's going on, like, if they need a, a tow or something, and Nancy's like, yeah, it looks like there's a fucking bomb in our car, so can you go to the closest police station? He's like, fuck yeah, I can. So, the police bomb squad comes up. I do love the description of the, the person who has come to defuse this bomb, who apparently is from, like, a local police station, okay? They are wearing, like, the heavy over, like... I imagine it like the thing that they give you at the, the dentist for x-rays. So they're wearing like the heavy chest piece and they're wearing like fucking gauntlets, some like some arm protection and of course a mask and everything. And so they come, they look at it and they're like, yep, that's definitely a bomb. It's attached to what appears to be one of those comically like legit from animation, like a round bomb with a fuse attached. Um, so the guy takes it and, of course, dunks it into a bucket of oil, which, as I learned from reading Nancy Drew books, is what you do with all bombs. You just take them and dunk them into a bucket of oil and hope for the best. Um, anyway, so the bomb doesn't go off, but the police officer is like, yeah, that was a bomb, all right. Um, so you've got some enemies. And Nancy's like, yeah, yeah, I do. Just swimming in enemies. That's me. Just 100% all day, every day. It's It's how I roll. And the cop is like, fair and then he just lets them go nancy does follow police report and i'm like for attempted murder for for fucking attempted murder like y'all just blowing everything off and the cops are not like can can we help you with this and she's like no no i got it i got it it's fine um after the bomb scare they get back in the car and they're driving down the road and everything when all of a sudden like the car starts making this horrible sound i think george is driving at that point um, they pull over and it looks like part of the, I guess, the muffler part of the car, like any anyway, the back bumper of the car, etc. Looks like it's just fucking coming off. And Nancy's like, my dad just bought this car. Like this has to be sabotaged. So they take it to a, a like one of the local service stations. And the guy's like, yeah, it looks like somebody fucking poured acid on the back part of your car because it has eaten through these components back here, which, like, this is not natural wear. So, there is a car dealership that's, like, a block away, and so she goes to the car dealership, and she's like, so, funny story, my father, the inventor of Toaster Strudel, just bought me this car, like, a week ago, and the back part of it fell off. So, the guy actually, uh, here's the funny thing. Carson has arranged with the car. This doesn't fucking matter. You need to understand that. Carson has arranged with the people that he bought that Nancy's new, like, bright yellow convertible from. He has arranged with them that if Nancy recovers her car, which she's Nancy fucking Drew, she's going to recover her fucking car, um, that he will just trade in her old car against the new car. So she's lost her old car. Her new car somebody tried to bomb it and then somebody poured acid on that fucker so when she goes to the car dealership she's like so um we need a car the person who's pursuing us clearly knows about this car because they put a bomb in it so do you have anything that we could possibly take to new orleans and the guy who owns the dealership is like i'm about to take a trip you can take out my demonstration model it's a black i can't remember if it's like a sedan or anything but it's apparently like a nondescript car and Nancy and her friends are like, fuck yes, we need a nondescript car. We do not need a bright yellow convertible. We need that, like we needed the hole in the head. But anyway, so they take the black kind of covert car to finish their trip to New Orleans. So um, 
they drive through, I think they actually go down to Alabama, which they're like, oh, it's so pretty. And it's a lot of description of the countryside. It's not actually the metropolitan areas. Um, and of course, there's a lot from Bess. It's like, it's so quaint. It's so quaint. Like, I don't, I think that Bess, I hate saying this. I think that Bess would absolutely have a plantation wedding. Um, she would not sense any sort of like anything that wrong in that but okay um yeah so they drive through Alabama they get to Mississippi they cross the Mississippi which apparently they didn't have to caulk their wagon like an Oregon Trail but it's fine um so they get to New Orleans the house they're staying at um again please refer to the warnings given at the beginning of this episode um they are introduced to Mamie and Pappy Every cell in my body is screaming. Um, Who are, of course, the woman who runs the kitchen and, of course, the man who handles the gardening. Of course they are. Um, Yeah, so it's a it's a very large house. The father is Colonel, which again, okay, we're we're in Blanche Devereaux land. Like I picture him like the like Blanche Devereaux's father on Golden Girls. So. Imagine Blanche. This is actually even funnier if you imagine, like, legit Rue McClanahan as as the main character in this. Um, Dottie, that's not her fucking name. I think that actually the reason I'm picking up Dottie as the name is because I'm remembering a fanfic that I love very much that's set around the same time period. Um, I love you, little Miss Messy. Um, so... Dottie is supposed to be like a year older than Nancy and her friends, not Rue McClanahan age, but I love picturing Rue McClanahan in this, so you feel free to do so as well. Dottie, Rue McClanahan, is um, engaged to Alex. I don't remember his last name. I don't fucking care what his last name is because my brain auto-filled in Crychak, so I'm going to refer to him as Crychak. He is not Crychak. He wishes he were Crychak. <laughs> <coughs> Clearly, I'm an X-Files enthusiast. So, so Dottie's engaged to Crycheck, but before she was engaged to Crycheck, she was engaged to, shit, what is his damn name? It, his last name is like Bartolome, so Bart, so I'm going to call him Bart, although he seems a lot nicer than that. Like, his first name is a, a regular name, but anyway, we're going to call him Bart. At first, she was engaged to Bart. Um, apparently, Bart went on a trip, and then she met Crycheck, and Crycheck was charming. He charmed the pants off her. Krychek apparently says that he went to Oxford, which again, um, he his family is from Europe, so she hasn't met them yet. Um, she has received a very charming letter from his mom that purports to be from his mom. If you sense my disdain for all this, you are understanding it because you know who Krychek is. An absolutely loathsome creature. Um, she's received a letter of which purports to be from Krychek's mom that is like, we can't wait to meet you. You're, you're going to be our new daughter. Yay. And she's like, yes. Um, Dottie seems to be, or McClanahan, seems to be, like, overly snobby in a way that she was not before she got engaged to Crycheck. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, I think that they are actually engaged, actually. I think that they are, but I think that the official announcement is going to come at the Mardi Gras ball. The Shrove Tuesday boat trip. Is it going to be a booze cruise? That's what all of us want to know. Um... So the funny thing is that Bart is an architect and Bart was asked by Dottie's parents, Ray McClanahan's parents, to restore the said haunted showboat, which is named the River Princess. 
Okay, the River Princess is an old, old, it was actually owned by, probably it would be like five generations ago. Um, so I'm, I'm going to say 100 years old. Mm, yeah, probably, probably around 100 years old. Yeah, that actually makes sense based on the context of the book. Um, ish. So that bitch, the the haunted showboat, has a large theater on it where shows were performed. So people could go and they could have dinner and watch a show, etc. There were actually rooms on board that the married married couples could stay in. The single guys had to stay on the tugboat, of course, for all sorts of pride-related reasons. Um, But... The boat is decrepit because the boat was actually pushed ashore by a very severe storm that caused a lot of flooding in the New Orleans area. So it actually pushed it into the marsh or the swamp to a place where it's going to have to be towed out to where it could actually be used again. Um, it's, it's in disrepair because nobody's bothered doing anything about it. And the reason that Dottie's parents have the boat is because they bought the land that the boat was kind of stranded on. So now it's theirs, but it wasn't originally theirs. Like, it's not originally part of their family. So, fun. All kinds of fun. I'm like, okay. So, Mardi Gras is in, like, an indeterminate number of days, but it's, like, within two weeks. Um, The boat is haunted. They can't get anybody to work on the boat other than Bart, actually. Bart is the only person who will go out there and work on it. Um... I'm like, so a single man is by hand restoring a boat that at night apparently gets vandalized again. It's as though his work is being undone. And this all makes sense. In what fucking universe does this make sense? In what fucking universe? Um, The thing is that as soon as Nancy and her friends meet Crycheck, Crycheck comes over to Nancy and is like, I'm looking forward to working on this mystery with you. And Nancy's like, excuse me, what the living fuck? Why are you sitting next to me? Why are you within any, any part of the radius of my personal space? What the literal fuck do you think you're doing? Like Nancy and her friends hate this dude on site. Now, Bess does have some pre-existing loyalty to Bart because she's like, he was super cute and I didn't, I want them together. I ship them and I want them together. But like, George doesn't give a fuck because George has never cared at all about this shit. And Nancy's never met anybody invo- who has been involved. She just knows she doesn't like Alex Krychek, of course. So there's that. And he, like, immediately is like, yes, I want to work with you. And Nancy's like, will you stop? Like, he seems to think that he is a super attractive ladies' man. And Nancy's like, you are absolutely none of those things. I just need you to know that need you to just get at at peace with it because you suck in all ways so the fun thing is that actually the colonel uh dotty's father Rue McClanahan's father big daddy <laughs> um tells nancy that she has carte blanche she can go out to the boat as often as she likes she she and her friends can go she doesn't have to check in with him she doesn't have to get his approval for anything she can just do whatever the fuck she wants and nancy's like exactly the way I like to work. I like your style, sir. I like it. So the thing is that, um, Crycheck is like, I can take you out to the boat. And Nancy's like, okay, you're not from around here. Um, you are a recent arrival. You are probably not at home in the swamp. So why the fuck would I get in a canoe with you? First, second, I hate you and all, all that you've ever been and all that you will ever be. So please die. Anyway, 
Um, so he's trying very much to get involved in everything. And Nancy's like, fuck no. So she actually sneaks out and she asks Mammy. Oh, God. Oh, God. She goes down to the kitchen and asks them. She's like, okay, if I wanted to go out and see the riverboat, like, what's the best way for me to do it? And they're like, oh, just ask. Oh, my God. Okay, so his name is Uncle Rufus. And I'm like, that is so fucking close to Uncle Remus that I'm so deeply uncomfortable. Anyway, so Rufus, we're just, we're just going to call him Rufus. We're just going to call him by his first name. Um, he is good people. He has lived out here forever. And he knows the swamp like the back of his hand. Of course he does. Because he is our magical Negro. And I mean that in every possible fucking sense for this. So, um, Nancy finds out how to get to... Actually, I think that he, like, comes near the house or something. And Nancy introduces herself or something. Whatever the fuck. Anyway, they, they meet pretty easily. And Nancy's like, okay, so can you possibly take me out to see the riverboat? And he's like, fuck yeah, I'd love to. That, that sounds fantastic. So she finds out how, how to get to his house. Um, she goes out with him several times. He is an older black guy. Um, he speaks in dialect. All the black people in this book speak in dialect. Um, so they go out there and he's like, yes, I like to listen to the owls because they're very wise. And I like, you know, I I know all the sounds in the swamp and everything like that. And like, we know a lot of traditional cures and everything. The thing that Nancy discovers about him, I think, like, the second time that she sees him, she drives out to his house, and she hears, like, chanting, and a woman walks out of his house, and she seems to be kind of, like, in a trance, and so Nancy's like, that that was kind of weird, and so, oh, there's, like, a, a little black boy who is nearby, and he's like, oh, you can't go in there right now, and Nancy's like, well, he's he told us to come by, and he says, well, he's, he'll be done in a minute, but he's he's practicing with somebody right now, and Nancy's like, um, pourquoi? And the little boy's like, yeah, he's, he's a voodoo priest. And Nancy's like, okay. Like, the thing that happens in this book is that she doesn't, she doesn't want to interrupt because she views it as like, it's, it's a sacred thing. She doesn't say anything in the book that like denigrates it, but it's very, very much presented as other. It's presented as like this primitive sort of belief system that Nancy and her friends are they're not patronizing about it but they're like a step above that where it's just like this is just a cute weird thing that people do and you know we're not gonna say anything weird about it we're not gonna point it out or anything but mm. so um so they wait until the woman has left and so they walk in and uncle listen to me and Rufus is like okay you ready to go and they're like yeah yeah, we're ready to go. So Nancy develops a suspicion at this point that maybe he is holding some sort of ceremony out on the boat at night because he knows that there's nobody on it. And maybe he's having like some sort of meeting of his followers or some sort of service because people have heard like drum beats and chanting and things like that. And so she's like, maybe he's the ghost. Maybe he's like trying to scare people away from the boat because he's using it for religious services. But she doesn't have a, like, she doesn't feel very strongly about this theory. Um, But she holds on to it because she's like, I'm not going to come straight out and ask him because I'd be rude. But, you know, I'm a little bit curious. So, so she pays close attention to him and everything that he does. Um, Yeah, it turns out and actually, um, yeah, she asks other people about it. And they're like, no, he's fantastic. Like, yes, he is a broody priest. Uh, at one point, Nancy goes over to his house, and he's got a fucking cauldron set up on a tripod. 
and he's chanting over it and then he's like oh hi <laughs> he like glances up and sees Nancy and her friends and he's like hey I'm, I'm almost done and Nancy's like uh-huh well we're just gonna wait at a safe distance and he's like you know if you got anything that ails you like what's in this pot's gonna heal it and Nancy's like I'm, I'm good my um internal theory my headcanon for Rufus is that he handles all the local abortions <laughs> this is pre-Roe versus Wade and the women who come to him are like Rufus you know what I need and he's like fuck yeah I do I got some herbs let's knock this shit out so that's my personal theory um anyway Nancy makes several trips out to the boat. Um, they they go out onto it. They see that there's evidence that somebody's been like destroying parts of it. They don't understand why. They've been hacking at it. And um, as happens with all Nancy Drew books that are in this kind of situation, um, the premise is that somebody is searching for something on the boat, which makes sense. They're looking for something specific. Um, they're trying to scare other people away from it because they want time to be un, un they don't want to be observed while they're basically hacking up a boat that isn't theirs so that makes sense um I think the first full day they're actually in New Orleans Dottie and Crycheck are like oh let's go sightseeing so they go to the Vieux Carré which is what the French Quarter was apparently called before it was called the French Quarter so the old town um, they tour a lot of different places. They go through like some walled gardens. They look at some old homes. Um, but there's one point where Dottie's like, Nancy, you'll want to go by the haunted house. And Nancy's like, um, tell me everything. And Dottie tells her, should I should have marked it. Um, from what I remember, Dottie tells Nancy, oh, it's a long time ago. She doesn't actually give a year for this. Um, she says that there was a house and the the husband and wife are away from home and a fire broke out. And when the firefighters and the neighbors broke in to basically save whatever they could and put out the fire, they discovered a bunch of slaves who were chained up in the attic who were like, who had been tortured. And Dottie's like, and legend says that their ghosts still haunt that place. And Bess is like, fuck no. And I was like, Again, the lowest possible bar for you to not say, oh, how quaint. Let's go check that shit out. That Bess is like, fuck no, I ain't touching that with a 10-foot pole. I was like, again, subterranean bar, but I'm glad you cleared it. Um, but when I read that description, I was like, fuck, that sounds like, that is ringing a distant bell. And I was like, this sounds like a thing that popped up on American Horror Story. A thing that I cannot watch because I'm a complete wimp. Um, but yeah, it's based on Delphine LaRue. It's not LaRue. It's something similar to LaRue who, yeah, basic, basically that story is correct. Um, that they were, there was a fire when they broke in, they found slaves who were chained up in the attic, according to the story, um, that several slaves had died while there, that the Delphine was apparently behind it. Um, and that she, yeah, it says that the, the couple, when they found out that their cruelty had been discovered, they fled the country, which, yeah, she ended up fleeing the country. Um, according to Wikipedia, um, the house was destroyed and by a, a frenzied mob after they discovered what had been, ha what had happened. But it also, according to Wikipedia, said that all these slaves who had been found chained in the attic were taken to the local police station where they were put on display for people to come look at. And like 4,000 people came and checked them out. And I was like... Way to make a terrible situation even worse. But it was like, we needed to see their suffering to confirm that it actually happened. And I was like, mm, a lot of a lot of weird choices you're making there. Just a lot of weird choices. But okay. 
Um, so anyway, yeah, without, she didn't mention the name. Also, it says that, of course, because the angry mob basically pulled the entire fucking house down, that, um, the mansion that's currently associated with that name is, like, a reproduction of the mansion. It's not the actual mansion. So, um, whatever Dottie would have taken them to would not have been the actual thing, so. Good times. I hope you enjoyed this little segue into absolutely nowhere. Um, apropos of nothing. So, the thing that Nancy figures out is that um, while Crychek seems to be very attentive to her mystery, he also seems to want to do everything that he possibly can to sabotage it. So he wants to take them sightseeing. He suggests several times that they go sightseeing when Nancy's like, but but the mystery. Um, just saying. Um, there's one point where he, oh, like the next time that he says we should go out sightseeing, I think Bess or George, I think it's probably George, because she's usually the one who would say this. George was like, I think we should take our own car, because I think he's going to try to orchestrate it, that we're not going to get back in time to, to do what we're planning to do. Because here's the thing. Um, Nancy goes out to the boat to, to check shit out, and she's, there's a guy on board. She hears hammering, and so she's like, oh, shit. And Bess is like, oh, fuck. Um, but it's him, it's Bart, and he's on the boat, and he's doing some work, and he's happy to see them, and he is, he's got red hair, and he's got fine features, and he's an architect, and he wants to, after he's finished restoring the boat, he wants to go live in New York, and I was like, there's a lot of this that's being coded as very interesting to me, but okay, it's fine, Bart, I I love you, it's fine, like, best definitely is like, Yes, like, my cousin needs to get back together with you, stat. So, Bart invites the girls to his mom's house. He's like, come over for dinner tomorrow night. I'm sure that my mom would love to meet you, and, like, you seem like good people, and I'm glad that you are trying to help solve the mystery of the boat. Now, the horrible thing, as you figured out by this point, is that Bart is helping restore the boat for his ex-fiance's engagement ball which sounds like such a terrifyingly regent thing to say, regency thing to say. Um, so he agreed to continue with the assignment, but like he also refused to come to the actual ball because reasons. And you're like, you know, that man is made of some material. He's he's doing some good work. He's doing it. But anyway, so he he can't he cannot abide the thought of actually coming to witness his ex fiance with her cry check. So yeah. Well, when they get home, like Bess has Bess is like my cousin is acting funny. I feel like she really needs to get back together with her previous guy, and so she's been kind of planting some seeds there. So I think it was George actually who casually mentions like, oh, it's because Dottie's mom is like oh, we've been invited to a dinner party and you're welcome to come. And George is like, oh, no, we're going to go have dinner with Bart and his mom. And, like, Dottie bursts into tears and runs upstairs. Her mom runs after her and the girls were like, oh, shit. And I was like, actually, yeah, like, I can I can get that. I can understand it. I can understand it. So the thing is that, like, Dottie was engaged to Bart and then she broke off the engagement to be with Crycheck and this has all happened within, like, a year. And so <clears throat> Nancy's like... I mean, it's not a good look. The optics are not great on that. And Bess is like, she needs to get back there with the first guy. Like, oh my God. So, so they're like, they're not trying to orchestrate it so that Dottie goes over with them or anything. It's just that like they accept his, you know, they kind of want to get in good with him so they can, they can match make, they can machinate. So, um, 
So that's when actually they decide to take their own car and Nancy spots the guy who stole her car. She ends up following him and finding her car in the parking lot of basically a boarding house. She calls the cops and the cops show up. Her car is gone because the guy spotted her and like drove it out a side area or some shit. Um, so Nancy was like, yeah, that, that was my car. That was my fucking car. You dipshits. So the cops actually searched the room that the guy had rented and they find her suitcase, which she doesn't know about until she checks back with the cops to see what kind of progress they're making because no cops, no cops in these books are able to actually do anything. But she gets her mom's fan back and her mom's shawl and she is so fucking happy about that. So that was, that was sweet. Um, yeah. So Nancy runs out and she's doing all that shit. Um, so she actually, she leaves the car. She leaves George with the car. Then Alex is like, Crycheck is like, where did she go? And George is like, she, she went to, there was a clue. And he's like, I'm going to go find her. And George is like, no, no, I'm, I'm sure she's fine. And Crycheck is like, no, no. I'm going to go find her ass. So George is like, then I'm coming with you. So, so it's Nancy trying to track down a clue. George and Crycheck are in the car together. And then Bess and Dottie are left together. And they look at each other and Dottie's like, I cannot believe this shit. And Bess is like, well, I mean, it is Nancy. Let's just go shopping. <laughs> and Dottie does not want to go shopping, but she does eventually. Um, I think that's when they go to Antoine's. But I know they go to Antoine's at one point in this and they have, apparently, the very famous oysters on the half shell served on hot salt. And I was like, I've got a lot of questions, and I don't want any answers. Just no answers for me. None. Anyway. And for dessert, pecan pie. You need to know this. Um, why? Because it's delicious. Um, yeah. So, the other thing that Nancy actually found was that Alex tossed a piece of paper out of the car when he was driving. So she stopped to recover it because she thought it might be a clue. And she found it was basically, I think, a rectangle that was colored maroon with a gold stripe on it. And she looked at it and she was like, this doesn't have any significance to me. Um, so Alex is like, oh, what did you pick up? And she's like, oh, this this piece of paper that I thought that maybe you discarded by mistake. And he's like, oh, no, that's just a sketch that my nephew did or some shit. He's like, I didn't want it, so I just threw it out of the car. I just littered. I just casually littered. So he throws it out of the car again, and Nancy's like, mm, so that's why she actually left the car initially. That's why she went on her sleuthing expedition. But when she went back, the piece of paper was gone, but that's when she discovered the boarding house. So <coughs> they end up going out on a boat to just go out on the river and to look around at old houses, and Nancy's like, y'all definitely seem like you're stalling. Like, we need to get back. We've we've got that dinner date. And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll get back. And Nancy sees Dottie and Crycheck looking at each other, and she's like, they planned this. The other fun thing, like, almost as soon as Dottie finds out that Nancy and her friends are going over to see her ex-fiance, she's like, I've got a plan. And Nancy's like, a plan for what? And Dottie's like... I'm going to invite Ned and Bert and Dave down here. And Nancy's like, they're, they're in college, though. And Dottie's like, I'm going to make it so they can't fucking refuse. And Nancy's like, you're going to mop them? You're going to put horse head in their bed? Like, how is this going to play out? Like, what the fuck? But Nancy gets really pissed off because she's like, why would you... I don't... I sincerely don't understand, like, why you're being like this. This just... 
because also it smacks of jealousy. It smacks of her like being like, you can't be around my ex-fiance. Like, I just can't allow that. Which, they've been really clear that they think that Bart is a really cool guy, but they, they're not interested in him in that way, so. Um, I think, I think, I, I'm not going to open the book again. When Nancy is invited over to um, Bart's house, he is invited two guys over to come with, to basically to finish out the dinner party. <coughs> I think his first name is Charles. Um, so anyway, Bart invites over Frank something. It's not Hardy. And I think that the other dude's name is Jack Minute, which I looked at. I looked at for a long time. I just gazed at that name in my book and I went, this is one of Ned's many pseudonyms where somebody's like, hello, it's nice to meet you. Your name is, and he's like, my name is Minute, Jack Minute, because, oh my God, it just sounds so fucking ludicrous. So they have dinner. It's fantastic. Um, Nancy and the rest of the young people change into appropriate swamp clothes. They decide to like sneak out in pairs and get in the car. All six of them jam into one car and it's not an SUV. I'm like, is one of you in the trunk or in the floorboard? Or what the fuck? I mean, at this point, of course, there wouldn't have been seatbelts. Maybe there would have been. I don't know. I don't mm, I don't feel like seatbelts were mandated at this point. <coughs> um, so yeah, they go out there, they go out to the boat. Um, they I think this is the point where they hear they hear something that sounds like hymns being sung. They hear something that sounds like tom toms like the drums being beaten um they see some sort of like sheet clad figure the other thing that happens is the events depicted on the front of the book where they see a per like a pair come up paddle up in a canoe and it's a guy who's wearing old-fashioned like you know 1800s clothing a woman who's also wearing 1800s clothing they're older people it's like an older couple um, one is Louisa and one is Henry, I'm pretty sure. That's something like that. So they get on board the boat and the guy's like, oh, well, you've seen this show like a thousand times. Don't you want to just maybe go out on the water and look around? And she's like, okay, that sounds good. So even though they go up on the boat, they don't like actually look around or do anything. And then they get off and go on the boat and they paddle around for a bit. And Nancy's like, this is weird. This is just real, real fucking weird. So... She gets Bart to follow with her in a canoe. They leave the the rest of them there um, to explore the boat and see if they can find any clues about the haunting. When they get to the house, when the older couple get to the house, like, they think that they're, like, married or, or something or romantically really or dating or something. So the guy's like, okay, well, I'll see you again soon. And she's like, thank you for a lovely evening. And he, like, lets her out of the boat. She goes inside, like, having basically dismissed him, and he's, like, gazing after her. (coughs) So Nancy and and Bart approach him and are like, hey, can we ask you a few questions? He's like, what the fuck? And he's like, oh, well, I I bet you have questions. Why am I dressed like this? And they're like, that's that's one of them. I'm not sure. So this is the story. Henry and Louisa are twins, actually. So twin brother and sister. Louisa is older. Um, she lost her husband like 10, 15 years ago. And ever since that point, she's been kind of declining mentally. 
their family used to own the boat. The haunted show boat. Um, the currently haunted show boat. Um, so they grew up on the boat. They they saw the shows there. They have a really good relationship with the boat. They, you know, they loved spending time on it. So there are nights when he said, especially on nights of the full moon, his sister like kind of doesn't really get unstuck in time, but what she wants to do is she wants to dress up in costumes because he and his sister always dreamed about going up and performing in the shows that they saw on the showboat. So she always wants to get dressed up in a a costume. She wants him to get dressed up in a costume too, and she wants them to go out to the boat and, and perform. But, of course, because the boat is kind of, like, not doing great, he usually talks her into just, you know, looking out on the water and, and taking a little trip that way, and then he takes her home. He says someday she's better than others, um, but this is this seems to be a thing that really brings her some comfort, and so I don't want anything to kind of interfere with that. So Nancy says, okay, you do know that the family that currently owns the land that the boat's on, and therefore the boat, are they want to actually get it towed to their house and docked at their house and restored to what it looked like. And he, Henry, really doesn't want that to happen. He's like, I don't know what that would do to her because she, like, that would kind of interfere with the the fantasy that she's got about the boat. So I, I just, I don't think that would be a good idea. And Nancy's like, okay, well, I mean, good to know. I mean, because again, it seems like they're not going to meet their fucking timeline. Um, Henry actually went to Oxford. And is Oxford educated? And if you're like, that seems familiar. It's because Krychek is also saying that he's Oxford educated. So, um, whenever Nancy mentions the haunting and mentions the fact that it appears that somebody's been like vandalizing the boat, he seems startled. But he also says that he has to go kind of abruptly. And so Nancy's like, he knows something. Let's let's just let's come back. Let's come back later. So after they've said good night to Henry. Um, Charles, uh, which I think is his first name. We're going to call him Charles from now on. Charles, the ex-fiance. Um, Charles and Nancy get back on the boat, and they try to get back out, but they get lost because he's not familiar with where he is exactly, and so they're just paddling around until the sun comes up. Because <laughs> they started out in the middle of the fucking night. Um, meanwhile, when they were on board, I think that George, um, I think some stairs like collapse under her when she's looking around for stuff, and she falls and hurts her leg. There's another point at which Bess falls and hurts her shoulder. Anyway, so, yeah, they're they're feeling kind of bad. The girls don't want to leave the boat because they don't know where the where Nancy and Charles are. So they all stay on the boat, and then finally they show up, and then Uncle, oh, God, Uncle Rufus shows up and everything. So um, Nancy feels good that they've actually got some idea about what's going on. But anyway, so they get back to Charles's house, and they all take a really fucking long nap and have some breakfast. And then they get back to Dottie's house and Dottie's like, tell me everything about your sleepover. Oh my God. Which again, Dottie seems super jealous about everything. And Dottie also is like, I want to know every, every single fucking detail. And to me, the weirdest part of this is that Nancy and her friends clearly slept over at Charles's house. Like 100% make no bones about it. Um, George also like, Dottie's like, oh, you're limping. And George is like, yeah, I fell down some stairs. Really weird thing, huh? They don't tell her anything about the fact that they went to the show by the night before. Because they they feel suspicious of Crycheck and they feel like Dottie is just telling everything they tell her to Crycheck. So, so Dottie's like, 
well, Ned and his friends will be here soon, so, and the girls are like, okay, we're gonna go take a nap now, like, Nancy doesn't want to be a dick about it, so she's like, well, Ned is my favorite escort, you were not wrong about that, and is this the inspiration for my story where Ned is, in fact, a fucking escort who meets Nancy that way? No, but I w- I'm 100% okay with retconning that shit, and so, anyway, <coughs> I'm trying to think, like, there's just a lot of shit that happens in this book. Um, there's one point where George is like, okay, I'm pretty sure that Crycheck is a fraud, and the girls are like, no shit, but can you give us specifics? So, George said that she had to flirt with Crycheck to get this, and she makes, like, a gagging face, but she's like, okay, so I asked for a picture of him. She's like, I think he has a, he thinks that I have a crush on him, which is the worst, but anyway... So she shows a picture of him in a, quote, Oxford group photo. And Nancy's like, huh, well, Henry said he went to Oxford. Maybe he's got connections that could kind of help us out with that. So they go to Henry's house. Um, Henry says that, yeah, he's got like recent material from Oxford that he would be happy to look up for them. He actually finds a copy of the same photo that George has. But the person who is marked with Alex's name in the photo looks different. And so when he compares the photo, like, and then at that point, Nancy glances up and sees Krychek's fucking face in the window and sees that he has overheard everything. So he runs away. When they come back, um, Henry says that he's looked very closely at the picture and he sees that basically it was photoshopped. So, which is fucking impressive in 1957. I'm going to give you that. So probably he took his own face at the right size cut it out, put it over the other dude's face, and then, like, made a reproduction of that photo or something similar to that. (coughs) So, he's not who he says he is. He's clearly somebody different, so either he has that name, but it's a coincidence, or he, you know, he's not at all who he says he is. But, yeah. Nancy's other hunch is actually that, um, Krychek said he was trying to contact people to tow the boat to the house and that nobody would do it because they all thought it was haunted. And so Nancy has a hunch and she goes, like, the first tugboat captain that she sees, she's like, oh, hey, have you, would you mind tugging this, this showboat in? And dude's like, she's like, have you been asked about it? And he's like, no. And Nancy's like, would you be cool with it? And he's like, well, I need to go check out, like, the situation and make sure it's all cool. But, I mean, I don't see why not. And Nancy's like, I don't think he asked anybody shit. I think that he is in league with these shitheads. So I'm just saying. So, um, I can't quite remember because Ned and his friends actually get here at basically the fucking end of the book. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, they do pull up. They, they said what they say that their excuse for coming down was that they told the people at their college that they needed to come down and check out football prospects. Like, I guess they mean the opposing team, and I guess they're trying to say that, um, I guess maybe Ole Miss is supposed to, like, be big on football. I don't know what the fuck. I just don't know. Anyway. So, Nancy, of course, sees Ned, and she's like, "Mm, yes, yes. Um, But anyway, so she tells him about the mystery she's involved in, and he's like, of course you're involved in a mystery, of course. So, Nancy and Ned go out to the showboat. The thing, the other thing that Henry told them when he confirmed that Alex was not who he said he was is the treasure. Um, 
Nancy had asked Rufus to kind of keep an ear out about anybody who might be near the boat, and Rufus found out that somebody was saying something about pirate gold. So when Nancy mentions that to Henry, Henry says, yes, there was a... Somebody said that there was a chest full of pirate treasure, like gold coins, that was hidden under the bulkhead. He said, but it's not there. Like, I've been on that boat. I'd heard the legend. I think that it was just a rumor that was started by somebody at some point just to start some shit. So mm, I don't think it's there. Which, of course, you know this by now, that if somebody says that there could be a pirate treasure on board, that there's a fucking pirate treasure on board. Or at least there's something. Um, the thing is that when they were doing their house tour, actually, um, somebody mentions Jean Lafitte, Pierre Lafitte, they mention actually that, and the thing is that this is presented in kind of like a neutral way in the book is that the pirates made their fortune by smuggling slaves in, like stealing slaves, stealing people from Africa and selling them as slaves in the United States. And they're like, I mean, yeah. And I think that it says that, like, he, I don't remember if they, like, try to redeem the story in any way, but it's like, oh, and here's a jail cell where he stayed at one point, and that's about it. Like, it's just got, like, a pail in it or some shit. Like, the girls are unimpressed. They're like, I thought it would be more, but okay. So, the implication is that somebody like that hid that treasure, which... If you connect all those dots, I'm like, so you're saying that some money that was made off the backs of the slave trade is hidden on this boat, and we're just not going to comment on that. Okay. Okay. So, Nancy and Ned um, go out with everybody else, and of course, they're in the lead, because Nancy and Ned are always in the lead, because Nancy and Ned need some make-out time. So, they get on the boat first. They Nancy says, I've got a, I've got a hunch that it's under a bulkhead, just not the one that they're thinking about. They find something that's similar masthead or something um they find something similar on the stage and so nancy directs ned to take a crowbar and pull out the board that's closest to that like physical thing and they see a box full of pirate treasure and of course the villains who are nearby spring out and smash nancy and ned on the back of the head and steal the pirate treasure once Bess and George get out there and Bert and Dave, um, they find that the ship is on fucking fire. Of course it is. And that Nancy and Ned are still on board. So they, the boys like grab handkerchiefs over their faces and go down and save Nancy and Ned, bring them up to there. I think that there's also a police officer who's like come out with them to inspect the ship. And he's like, oh, well, um, <clears throat> and they put the fire out. So... Nancy's like, I think that we can pursue them because I think they couldn't have gotten far. And so they say, okay, well, well, the captain is like, the police officer is like, I know I'm an older gentleman, but I really think this is something that guys should do. And Nancy reluctantly is like, I guess you're right, which I was like, this is one of the reasons why I don't love revision Nancy. Like, old school Nancy would have been like, look, bitch. I can do anything you can do. Like, I want to be here for the takedown. Let me go be here for the takedown. But instead, she's like, I mean, I guess you're right. So the the boys go with the police captain. They find Spike, the Confederate, who stole Nancy's car, but they don't find Crycheck, who apparently escaped with the pirate gold. So, um, and it's Mardi Gras. So, and of course, Mardi Gras lasts a week. So they've got like a week to finish destroying the boat and everything. They get the captain to to pull the boat in. 
everybody who's at Sunny Me contributes. Everybody, Rue McClanahan's parents, everybody contributes. Um, Crycheck had had the idea that they could just have the ball at the house. He was like, we can just take the furniture out of the big room and, and we can have a dance in there and it'll be fine. And they were warming up to the idea, but they really wanted it to be on the boat. And of course, by the time of Shrove Tuesday, they're able to do it. It's it's magical. Shrove Thursday? Anyway. Um, yeah. So they, they paint it and it's all looking great and everything's fine and ready for the ball, which of course now is not gonna be the engagement ball. Um, they do notice that while Dottie is helping work on the boat that she is basically flirting with her ex a lot, and they're like, Yeah. Dottie BT dubs was absolutely devastated to find out that Crycheck was Crycheck. Um, the girls were like, we really hate to break this to you, but your fiancé, complete dickhead, not the person that you thought he was. Which, there's there's some really weird stuff about that, and I guess we'll circle back to it, but anyway. Um, so yeah, Dottie's devastated. She's like, I, I feel like such an idiot for basically dumping my ex, who was fantastic, and I can't believe that I fell for this guy, and I'm just terrible and a shithead. And Nancy's like... Yeah, all those things are true. All those things are true. So good job. Good job all around. Um, anyway, so they're going to Mardi Gras and the beads are described as like imitation pearl beads. And I was like, huh, I just thought of them as plastic bead necklaces, but okay. There is no reference to flashing in this book, but the fact that Bess does walk away with some of those beads, I'm like, you know it, girl, you know it. Um, hmm. So... Um, they're actually in the mayor's box. I think it says that they're, they're like on a balcony, I guess at the mayor's house or something. So they're able to see the parade from up there. Nancy has a hunch because Crycheck has not been recovered. She has a feeling that Crycheck is going to be on one of the floats because that crumpled up piece of paper with the maroon, with the gold slash drawing. She's like, I think that that's going to have some sort of symbol related to the float that he's going to be on. And I think that he's going to be on the big last day of floats. And Ned's like, why do you think that? And so Nancy says, I think that he recovered the pirate gold. I think that he is, like, going to rent it to the city to say, like, if you want to use this as part of the parade, like, you'll need to pay me for it. And he needs to collect that money so he can get out of here. Because, of course, if he tries to start selling off some pirate gold, somebody's going to comment on it. So um, they get clown costumes, which when I read that in the book, I was like, of course he did. But they went to a, for the last day, they decided to actually dress up and everything. And they went and got clown costumes for everybody. And there's an internal illustration that depicts both Nancy and Ned in, like, traditional, like, jester outfits. And I'm like, oh, adorable. So they're watching the parade. They find a float that is as described by that sketch. And they see on it a pirate, quote, pirate with a treasure chest that he keeps running his the gold through his fingers and everybody's like oh throw me some gold throw me some gold and he's like ha 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 and Nancy's like it's that bitch it's that bitch so they um they follow that float until it gets to the point that the parade is over and the quote pirate like snatches up all the gold starts putting in his pockets and everything and they're like thief stop thief and so they ned tackles his ass um a cop comes up like 30 seconds later and is like you and he admits everything so 
Actually, um, Krychek was, had come down to search for the pirate gold after they found out about it. He found out about it through Spike. And his job was to get close to the Mark. So the Mark was Dottie's family because, of course, they owned the boat. So his goal was to make sure that the boat stayed where it was and that nobody was going to mess with it while they searched for the gold. And then he did exactly as Nancy was thinking. He rented out the money to the town, to the city, and he was going to use the proceeds from it to escape. And he is like... I really think that Dottie and I could have had a good marriage. And Nancy, hilariously, that's the part that has Nancy rolling her eyes back in her head because she's like, how could you ever think that? You are absolutely trash. Um, That he could basically keep up the pretense that long. And part of it is also that Nancy's like, why do you think that you are God's gift to women? Like, you are cry check. You are absolute scum. So you need to know that. But a police officer is like... You know, I can't believe that you would do this to nice people when, you know, you could have, you could have basically passed as a higher class person and then you use it this way. And he's like, it's because you were around bad people, which it all is incredibly patronizing. But anyway, so, so that's how the book ends. Um, The book actually ends with Dottie and her ex-fiance, like, very clearly on a trajectory to get back together. Like, Bess is, like, over the moon. She's like, we're going to come back for a wedding, and it's going to be fantastic. And Dottie's like, oh, also, um, they offer Nancy a part of the reward, as in the money, the the pirate gold. And Nancy says that she is willing to take one of the pieces as a souvenir, but she thinks that the money should be split between um, <coughs> between the fan- the twins who whose family originally owned the boat. Um, apparently the storm that sent it in the showboat to its current location entered the grandfather so that he actually died. And she says that the money should be split between the twins and the current owners of the boat. Which, of course, I thought of Pirates of the Caribbean and I was like, honey, that money's cursed, so you should probably not accept any of it, but okay. So, that's where we landed on that. Yeah, the end of the book is just not even like... Rue McClanahan being like, you have given me a precious gift. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I like the fragrant Jimson weed. I can provide North Silk Ore. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's just, there's just so much. Oh, the other weird thing that happens in the book is actually while they're searching the boat, they find a jeweled hairpin that looks very similar to Dottie's mom's hairpin. And Charles recognizes it as such. He's like, I think that that's the mom's hairpin. And so the girls are like, why would, why would Crycheck steal one of her hairpins and then leave it on the boat? Like, that doesn't make any sense. But what Nancy finds out is that the hairpin belongs to Louisa, the twin. So she dressed up, got all dooted up in her costume, and then she, um, she dropped the hairpin on the boat. So that's how the hairpin ended up on the boat. So it was a clue. It just wasn't the kind of clue that they were thinking. (coughs) So this one. The weird thing about this is that the previous one, Hidden Window Mystery, seemed so much more racist to me that, like, but this one, this one also had a lot of racism happening. It's just, it, it felt a little bit different. Like, in the Hidden Window Mystery, it legit felt like they were 
not really acknowledging that Reconstruction had failed and the Civil Rights Movement hadn't really kicked off yet. And, I mean, the Civil Rights Movement was ongoing at that point, but had not exploded into a social movement that was, you know, definitely going to make some changes. So, like, there's there's a lot of, like, we're just going to renovate the slave quarters and have our servants go there. And it's like, wow, you're not even bothering to say that you're you're just saying the quiet part out loud, huh? Just just acknowledging it. This book, I mean, you could argue that they actually are slightly more enlightened than the previous book, like referring to the fact that slaves were tortured, talking about the fact that the pirates made their money off the slave trade. Um, I, I really don't love that they're actually legit called Mammy and Pappy. Like that feels really bad to me. The, the voodoo doctor stuff where they're like voodoo priest. Although like, I do like that Nancy's suspicion of him seems to be <coughs> within the context of the book. She is an outsider to this place. And so when she walks into this place, she is suspicious of him because she is not familiar with this. Uh, or she's depicted as not being familiar with this within this book. When she asks local people who have known him for a long time, every single one of them is like, he does amazing things in this community. His cures have helped many, many different people. And I'm like, because he, he's, he's doing abortions. Um, so, like, any sort of suspicion you have about him is unfounded. Like, he's he is good people. Like, you need to know that. And so Nancy actually takes their testimony as, okay, then I'm going to knock him to the bottom of the suspect list. I don't think that he's actively involved. I don't, like, he, he's a logical candidate based on the fact that he's so familiar with this place and based on the things that people are hearing. Like, it's just, like, maybe they're trying to cast suspicion on him. Like, that would make some sense, but okay. So... And he is presented within the text as 100% the magical Negro trope where it's he's connected with nature in a way that Nancy is not. He's making his, quote, cures. <coughs> he's like the local witch doctor. He is, he's embodying like all of these tropes all in one, one character instead of it being split into multiple characters. He's, he's good. He's wise. He's connected with nature in a, it, it's just... It's a lot. So, again, the bar is subterranean to say that Nancy does not, at the end of the book, end with some sort of suspicion. But it's also, like, everything that he says is in dialect. So, there's that. Good times. Anyway. So, yeah. Hidden show. Haunted show book. Which, of course, was haunted by capitalism. Next week, or for our next episode... Season 11 is going to pick up with the Nancy Drew Files, and we're going to be reading Recipe for Murder. Oh my god, yes. We're hitting a string of books that I absolutely fucking love, so I cannot wait to share that with you. So, as always, stay sleuthy, my friends. <laughs>